It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Okay, now in studio with me, Dr. David Coyle, assistant professor at Clemson University. Go Tigers. I never thought I would say that. It's, um, good, it's good for you to say something a little different. <laughs> well, and you live in Georgia, so you've really got one leg on each side of the fence. Let's it's be true. Honest. It's true. We have one one kid is an avid Bulldog fan, Connor, and our younger son, Parker, is an avid Tiger fan. Oh, so boy. house divided. Right? And the colors clash. I mean, you can't have red and black and purple and orange all in one place. That's just... Little kids do. They, well, don't, yeah, care. they don't care. You're right. <laughs> no color schemes necessary in their rooms. So forestry and wildlife resource program team, forestry and environmental conservation department. There's a lot that you do. And you have a PhD. That's why we call you Dr. David Coyle. <laughs> PhD in entomology. Um, you've been with Clemson since what, 2018 maybe? Yep, three so, years. And you've gotten a lot done in three years. I mean, you've you've come up against some really big hot topics, some invasive species that we're going to kind of talk about. Um, But breaking news, one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about, and I don't know if we've talked about this when I've had you on the show before, Bradford pears. Mm, Um, Tell us why this is a hot topic. I I teased it on social media all week. I was like, find out what's been banned and why. And gardeners are like, there's something that's banned? How does that happen? But Bradford pears, this is huge news in South Carolina. It is, especially for South Carolina, which is not known for banning a lot of things. But what happened was Bradford pear and three non-native Eliagna species will be illegal to sell in the state as of October 1, 2024. Isn't that something? Mm -hmm. So, and, and, you know, I was unaware that there have been things, you know, put on the banned list before, but this may be one that has the highest awareness. Most people, gardeners or not, know what Bradford pears are. They kind of just exploded in the 80s and 90s as a a landscape tree and just got too big for their spaces, and the branches are kind of dangerous. They can split, and they're just not fun to have around. Yeah, you know, when they first came out with Bradford pear, it was kind of this perfect uh, landscape tree, right? It's shaped like a lollipop. It's pretty. I'll give it that. Yeah, it is. You know, red foliage, um, but... We learn as we grow is kind of how I look at it. And we've learned since then that it is, you know, it gets to be 20, 30 years old and it just falls apart if you look at it wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, windstorm, <laughs> ice storm, uh, anything really, branches will break. I know a lot of municipalities who have planted a lot of these trees spend a lot of money every year just on cleanup. Right. You know, just cleanup alone. And uh, from a landscape perspective, you know, it. we know now that it can go feral, for lack of a better word. Uh, two Bradford pears can't make a viable seed, but... Any other pyrus, which is the genus, any other pollen from any pyrus can make a viable seed on a Bradford, and that's why we have calorie pear, which is what we call that wild one. You see it all over the roadsides every spring. First thing to bloom, white trees, you know, line on the roads. It's beautiful in the spring. It's pretty, it's pretty, but it's super thorny. It's really tough to get rid of once, you, you know, a lot of landowners and land managers, once they have it in their fields and forests, it's really hard to get rid of because of all those thorns. We've had lots of reports where... Um, Folks with livestock, cattle, and horses, if the the animals get in there, it can really shred their faces, you know, and that type of thing. So it's just not a good tree. There's very little redeeming quality other than it being pretty. And we just decided as a, you know, as our Invasive Species Advisory Council in South Carolina, this is something that shouldn't be sold anymore, Mm -hmm. right? And, And just so we're clear, if you have one, no one's coming to take it from you. (laughs) There's no tree police. The tree police are not going to come cut your tree down. But uh, you can't buy it as of 2024. You know, we get, we have a, a 
kind of a drawdown period there to make sure everyone can get education on what they can and can't do, get our inspectors up to speed, that type of thing. Uh, So that is the big news in South Carolina. So in my mind, seeing this from an outsider's perspective, you know, there was a lot of support for it. Like Mm -hmm. you said, in the academic community, people just realizing there's not really very many benefits. But I would imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe the only blowback you would have gotten was from nurseries. Is there a negative impact on any nurseries or are they okay with this decision as well? I, I can't think of any nurseries that were not okay with it. There were, it was extremely high support for this move all around. We did have a couple, you know, some people would write in and say, it's pretty, you can't take mine, that's fine, we're not going to take yours, right? Uh, Pyrus caloriana, which is the species that Bradford Pear is, that is used as a rootstock on a lot of other fruit trees. Mm-hmm. We had a little bit of pushback there, but, you know, then again, there's other rootstocks that can be used that are just as effective. This was so, a vigorous one, but yeah, there yeah, still could yeah, be others. but there's lots of other stuff, right? So that was really the only thing we had was some of the, the grafting, you know, nursery grafting type of thing for fruit trees said, well, hey, it's a rootstock we use, but, mm-hmm. you know, we got to move on. There's other stuff to use. So there, there is a drawdown period, like you said, to really educate everybody. And on the homepage for the extension office for Clemson, it's right there. So talk about, and, and you have a face and a presence in South Carolina where you've done talks and, you know, really educating the masses and things like that. But talk about how you really need to get out in the forefront in front of just the general public. And this is almost a campaign, you know, really educating folks on this. It's a big campaign of mine, yeah. I mean, you know, I've run that Bradford Pear Bounty Program up there for this will be the third year this spring. So this is a program that we have where we encourage homeowners to cut down the Bradford Pear in their yard, bring us a picture of you with that cut down tree, (laughs) and we will give you a free native replacement tree. Hey, that's cool. Mm -hmm. So we've had really, really good turnout. It's, you know, we're going to have... One of these uh, events in this fall up in Columbia, there's three scheduled for next spring. So the program is really growing. There's an amazing amount of people that would love an excuse to cut down that Bradford pear. That's what we have found. Everyone wants an excuse. And now that we've given them one, it we, we the trees are gone quick. And you get something for it. Yeah. How cool and is And we that? give you a great native. You know, it's stuff you might not think about, like a bald cypress or a, or a, a red bud. Do they get to pick? That, yeah, it's first come, first serve, but wow. we always have about a dozen different things, different oaks, uh, like I said, cypress, uh, beech, like in it, we kind of, depending on where you are in the state, that helps to dictate what trees are available. We're not going to put something that, you know, might grow in the low country up in the upstate in the mountains or something. Right. But there's always a bunch of different things available and they're, you know, four to six foot tall trees. They're decent, you know, three gallon pot trees. So yeah. it's not like it's a little seedling your wayward teenager might mow over or something, right? (laughs) Right. It's an actual tree that's in there. And we've had really good, really good luck with that. And so this is just all part of the program that we're doing up there. You know, we're doing a lot of research on the impacts of calorie pair, you know, from an ecological perspective, how to manage it better with, you know, prescribed fire, herbicides. We're doing all of this stuff. So that's just, it's just one of the things I started when I got there is a calorie repair program. And this is where we're at. And with forestry health, too, you're, you're always looking for the relationships there. So is there any insect or insect family that's going to be impacted in, you know, 10, 20 years from now as the slow removal process begins of, you know, eliminating Bradford pears, like, is that going to have any negative recourse on something else? I think the only impact is going to be positive. Okay. Because that whole species, Pyrus caloriana, is not eaten by anything, really. Mm-hmm. So if you're a, for, for instance, if you're a birder, 
right, and you want birds in your yard, every Bradford pear is basically a food desert because nothing eats it. Okay. So, and, and, you know, look at a Bradford pear. Every leaf looks perfect, mm-hmm. right? And that's one of the reasons it's such a, you know, people like it for a landscape tree. There's no pest problems. Yeah. Well, if there's no pest problems, there's also no bird food. And so, you know, they've done studies where they've looked at places that have a lot of these trees planted and you have a lot less birds. Like huh. there's a relationship there. So getting rid of these and putting those native trees back in is going to help everything. Yeah. And do you think that's genetic that some people know the smell? Like in the spring, when those are flowering, some people can smell as they're out walking the dog like, my God, what is that smell? And it's a Bradford pear. Genetically, I don't know. I can't smell it. Oh, good for you. I know. Like, am good I for weird? You. I mean, you're lucky. I, I guess. It's a very pungent odor, That's if you will. So and weird. there's some really descriptive, uh, <laughs> def, you know, the, the, the people are very descriptive with this. Uh, none of them are flattering either. Yeah. So wet socks, uh, moldy something or other, and it gets worse from there. But some people can't smell it. Yeah, and it's I like, totally wow, can. good for you. I can. Yeah. So Dang it. Oof. So are we going to see you on a billboard, like with your arms crossed in front of you, like Bradford Pear? No. Like, is this going to be a, a big campaign? This is going to be exciting. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I'm on a billboard for the Asian Longhorn Beetle stuff already. Oh, so I definitely want to talk to that. you about that. So see, <laughs> so invasive species and talking tree health and forestry uh, conservation with Dr. David Coyle. You've done some fantastic videos when you're out in the field and you're showing people what to look for. I think the latest one that I may have seen was Privet, I think, where you're out identifying it. and like. Oh, yeah, my video. Yeah, video yeah. Rob, yep. How much of your work is done in the field and how do you know where to go? Like you've got an entire state that you can, you know, go search for things, but how do you all map out where your research is going to be done? Well, you know, before I was at Clemson, I ran a regional forest health and invasive species program. So I'm pretty dialed into everyone across the whole southeastern region. So I just call people. I know I know who to call at this point. And that, honestly, that's half the job is knowing who to call. Mm-hmm. So I can reach out to people at certain wildlife management areas or forestry commissions and uh, and then, you know, in addition, I just get around a lot for my job. So I see a lot of stuff. And when I'm driving down the road, I will make, you know, mental or actual notes like, hey, there's a big patch of this off exit, whatever on the interstate. I've done you that know? too. Yeah. So I've got, you know, always have a notebook in the truck and all that. So, you know, you just kind of acquire, figure out where stuff is and kind of remember where it is. And, and you just file it away for when you need to do it later. So do you have a YouTube channel when you do videos like this? I mean, how can folks see some of your work? It's actually, you know, it's not as academic. Like I can't necessarily think that the listeners are going to sit down and read publications. Maybe some of them do when they go to, you know, extension.uga.edu or Clemson's extension page. But like you make it interactive and you make it easier to learn from with these videos. Like, have you centralized all those in one place? Because you should. Oh, I know. So I'm working on a personal website. (laughs) I'm I'm working on that. At this point, a lot of it goes on Twitter and Facebook. That's where a lot of it goes. And then we've got our Clemson extension web page. Stuff goes on there. But yes, working on a, a centralized drdavecoyle.com webpage. All right. Keep us posted. You're a better man than me because (laughs) I cannot do a website. Like, I just don't have time. If I can pay some teenager to maintain it for me. Well, I'm paying someone to do it. Yeah, I'm not doing it. Oh, see, okay. Oh, well, (laughs) my admiration just went down a little (laughs) more. Look, we're being being honest here. All right, 404-872-0750. We've got a call from Betty in Monroe, who we'll talk to in just a moment. Bradford Pears for Farmers. I'm not sure if if she's suggesting that might be a good thing or a bad thing. Alan in Fayetteville, crepe myrtle not growing. We could certainly talk about crepe myrtles a little bit. Oh, and Greg from Decula, question about verbena. Actually, I'm going to hop in here and talk to Greg from Decula out near uh, the Barrow County area. Good morning. Welcome to the show. 
Hey, good morning, Ashley. How are you? I love that you've been so patient. I owe you uh, a sandwich. How are you? <laughs> oh, no, it's no problem. I'm good. I'm good. Hey, quick question on verbenum. I've had some planted in the backyard. It gets a good bit of sun, <clears throat> a good bit of shade. It's been there for probably six or seven years, about 15 feet wide, wow. six to seven feet, you know, um, in, in, in length and everything. But every spring it comes up beautiful, green, nice, beautiful purple flowers. But as the summer continues, it just like all dies off and it looks it looks awful now. You've got sparse green leaves with some purple flowers and the rest just looks like a skeleton. Is there anything that I can do? I thought it was watering. Mm-hmm. So I installed a little drip system. So I'm only watering like twice a week in the heat. And um, it's still just looks awful. Well, I've got some good news for you. So you've had them for like six years, and that's that's awesome because they're a great perennial, very hardy. Um, they, they can outgrow their space sometimes, though. So for you, you could trim them back, and that's going to save you probably from the watering issue and having mm-hmm. to really closely look at that. You can trim them back really well, and they'll tolerate that. And also they have to have well-drained soil. So maybe in the case mm-hmm. you know, of n- making sure they don't stay too wet. And they don't tolerate overcrowding, too. So if that's the case where it's just done so well and it's so prolific now, Greg, overcrowding and poor circu- uh, poor air circulation, that's going to be one of the quickest things to kill it out and maybe, you know, stress the roots a little bit. So if there's a way to thin it but do that kind of major trim back, that's probably going to set you on the right path. Oh, that's great. Now, should I trim? Can I trim in the middle or just trim the edges, cut it back, like, five feet or can I go in the middle of it and trim some of the middle areas or yeah, does it even matter? I would thin it out. I would thin it okay. out by really going into different spots in the middle of it and kind of thin it out that way. And, you know, of course, it's going to be forgiving. It's it's not going to, to right. punish you when it comes back next spring. It'll probably be a little happier. And the best time to do that trimming? Um, You know, you could do it. I, I would say do it now, but maybe a few weeks back would have probably been best. Just staying okay. on top of thinning it out. But yeah, you could certainly do it now. I'll do it today. Thank you so much, Ashley. Greg, thank you. Good to hear from you. 404-872-0750. We'll be back. You're listening to WSB. That update on your weekend weather brought to you by Finley Roofing. You know I've got Dr. David Coyle from Clemson University in studio with me. Are you having fun? Always do. This this is fun, and it gets it's, more fun when we have calls. And it's the first time I've actually been in the studio. I feel like we've met, but we totally have not. Because yep. we've just, I mean, I've had you on the program now. I've been on a year and a half, and mm-hmm. I want to say you've probably been on the show two or three times. Uh, yeah, more than that, I think. Yeah. I think we started just when sort of COVID hit. Right. It was one of the first times I was on because you had just taken over shortly after, you know, you had just taken over, I think. And you reached out to me, which I was so appreciative appreciative of back then in March or April. I forget what we, what opened our I don't remember conversation. Either. Yeah, but I'm Something. so glad you reached out because I was like, ooh, a knowledgeable expert that I can, you know, develop a relationship with and yeah. bring him on the show. And I mean, that really has turned out well for both of us. Yeah, I mean, it's fun. I love doing this stuff. So talking about Bradford pears, and they have been banned in South Carolina. Now, this is going to take a few years to really have an effect, but kind of a social campaign for that. I want to talk to you about the Asian longhorned beetle, because mm. you do a lot of work with that. Folks need to be on the lookout. You can actually be a citizen scientist and help spot these, because that's a big deal. And some... uh jumping worm that I asked you about. We'll get into that a little bit more. I like stuff from uh, the listeners and I got that message from Jan and so she educated me and you're going to educate us a little bit more on that too. Sounds good. 404-872-0750. Your calls coming up. It's Green and Growing on WSB.
sight. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Having a good time on the show today. 404-872-0750. Dr. David Coyle, assistant professor at Clemson University. Your specialty, forestry, environmental conservation. That's the department that you're in. But you not only look at tree health and, and the impacts on the forest, but bugs too. Lots of bugs. Yeah, and your Lots PhD is in entomology, right? It is, yeah. I'm a trained entomologist, so I've just picked up all this other stuff kind of on, a, you know, yeah. as the job goes. Well, and all of it is interrelational, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you don't find just a bug. It's always eating something, right? Right. So uh, back a few years ago, and correct me if it started sooner than that, but a new invasive tree pest in South Carolina, something that you guys have put a lot of energy and focus into, Asian longhorned beetle. And again, public awareness campaigns, billboards asking folks to help you spot this. Why is that guy so destructive? What's the problem there? Yeah, it's been, you know, we found it in May of 2020 down in Charleston County, and it it actually has been there since 2013. So it took seven years before someone, you know, turned paid it attention. in. Paid attention. Turned it in. Uh, it's super destructive with mostly maple trees down there. It uh, The larvae burrow into the wood and essentially Swiss cheese in the middle of the tree. Wow. So the tree doesn't die right away. It's not eating a lot of that live tissue, the phloem or anything, but it but it loses all of its structural integrity and they break super easy. You know, and of course, Charleston County being on the coast, you're in hurricane territory down there. So every time a big windstorm comes through, we see branches breaking all over the place. So uh, it's one of those really destructive insects. Um, a lot of maple trees are grown where people are, right? Yeah. People's yards, parks, that type of thing. So you've got a major hazard uh, right there. Plus, it's a federally listed invasive. So, you know, we we put a lot of effort into trying to snuff this thing out, which we're actively doing right now. Where did it, I mean, how did we know that it came from Asia? What was the trek over to the continental United States? Yeah, they first found it in 98 in New York. And they know it came in solid wood packing material on one of the, you know, one of the big containers, wow. a pallet or something, you know. Um, and then since then, it you know, it's been in several different areas in the U.S. and in Canada. Canada has snuffed out their, uh, their infestation, the Toronto area. We've had several spots in the U.S. that we've eradicated, you know, Illinois, some in the Northeast, and then Ohio. But there are still four active uh, states with active infestation, South Carolina, Ohio, New York, and I believe Massachusetts still has active infestations. So is this something that, you know, you need the public's help in identifying it? Do they call their extension office when they spot one and say, hey, and then you guys, a research team kind of needs to come out and track, you know, what the damage is or how many are in the area? Yeah, we hope they call. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've got numbers set up and uh, both research and regulatory get out there because right away it's a big regulatory issue. You can't take infested material outside of our quarantine zone, which we've, we've enacted about 76 square miles down there. Wow. Um, so we got to make sure we keep the thing where it is, and then we actively work to get rid of it, which at this point means cutting down infested trees and chipping them up. Yeah, and I remember uh, when, you, when I had you on the phone a few months back, I told you I was guilty of something. I don't want you to be upset with me. Oh my gosh, you did? When I go camping. Oh, you bring firewood. Oh, oh I do. Actually, and actually. that's a way to transport this bug. That's <laughs> terrible. And you know, that's probably how it got here. It uh. probably is how it got here. They did all the genetic tests and they know that the population in South Carolina is identical to the population in Ohio. And all you need to do is drive around Charleston County a little bit in the summer and see all those Ohio license plates. Yeah. I, I personally have no doubt 
it came inadvertently on firewood from Ohio. Where it was found is um, right next to a big RV park. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, yeah. at some point, Occam's razor, right? The simplest explanation mm -hmm. is it's probably that's probably how it got there. I mean, the human element to this of how we're actually helping spread this mm -hmm. bug. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it happens oh. all the time. So oh, it's a big no. part of what we do is outreach. So I can get you some materials. <laughs> Okay. Don't uh, bring camping or firewood along. Yeah, with you. Yeah. Just buy it when when you get there, right? That's what we encourage people to yeah. do. Yeah, get it get it locally. Um, or sometimes you can buy tr treated firewood already. It's already been heat treated, so you know everything inside is dead. There's oh. a little stamp they'll put on there. A lot of the stuff, uh, well, I shouldn't say a lot. Most of the stuff you see at like uh, gas stations, those little bags. Yep. If there's a little stamp on the on one of the ends of it, it means it's been treated. So you can look for that, and then you know that's clean. Okay. Yeah, because they so this Asian longhorn beetle bores into things like maple trees, some other. Yeah, mostly maple, okay. but it'll also hit things like sycamore and cottonwood and uh, elms. But but maple's ninety eight percent of what it's what it's eaten. Interesting. Now, mm -hmm. what's the size? Is this a really huge, intimidating bug, or kind of little? No, it's easy to see. They're, the The body of the adult is an inch and a half, an inch and a quarter long, and then it's got really long, you know, two to three inch long antennae, and they're mm -hmm. black and white striped. The beetle's black with little white spots on it. It's not something you're going to miss. Yeah. You know, it's pretty obvious when it's there. Fascinating. So we as gardeners, when you're out and about, you know, you think you're just tending to your flowers or your vegetable garden, but you really need to kind of have a, a bigger eye out and look at things around you as you're out in your landscape. You could spot one of these. Yeah. And, I, and I'll just say, look, extension folks love to identify stuff. If you see something cool, take a picture and email it in. Yeah. You know, we love doing that stuff. It's the fun part of the job is helping people figure out what's that natural world around them. So yeah. we love seeing pictures of cool bugs. So the way to do that here in Georgia, folks, 1-800-ASK-UGA-1. That's the number you call, 1-800-ASK-UGA-1, to find the extension office in your county and get in touch with your agent. They can help with a host of things. And, of course, Pike Nursery, too. They're great when you bring in maybe a limb or a leaf or a flower or something, and, and they'll help you identify insects and, and plants as well. All right, so a good question for you. Coming up, Dr. Coyle, we've got Betty on the line from Monroe. Good morning, Betty. Welcome to Green and Growing. Good morning, and I'm glad David's still there because I want to tell you about what a problem the Bradford pear sprouts are in our pastures. Yes. Hundreds of them, the great big huge thorns puncture the tractor tires. I lost track last summer of the number of t times the tires had to be repaired. Wow. And um, it's, just, it's just a real, real problem. The sooner they're uh, gone, from sale or any use, the better. Now, can you even trace back, Betty, when those were put on the property, or they were probably there before you got there? No, I don't even have any. The neighbor has some Bradford pears lining her driveway. We don't have any Bradford pears. We've, all we've got is the sprouts, and the developer said when he developed it that the uh, seeds were sterile. Not true. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's I, I can feel for you, Betty. I mean, you're one of many people who have said that they have lost so many tires to these things. They're so hard uh, to get rid of. That's a heck of a thorn. Oh, yeah. They're so hard to get rid of. And, you know, that developer technically wasn't lying because a Bradford pear can't make a viable seed with another Bradford pear. But the problem is there's so many other flowering pears out there now, wild ones or, or other varieties, they can all make a viable seed. So... It's one of those, uh, you know, technically he wasn't lying, but, you know, they can definitely have viable seeds on them. And, yeah, birds are sitting in those 
in your neighbor's trees, they're eating, and then birds do what they do. They fly mm-hmm. across the field and, and poop, and there you go. That's how it gets going. So how far from the original Bradford pear would a sucker come out, though? A sucker, you know, a sucker itself is probably only going to, well, it's going to depend on how big that tree is. But, you know, I mean, the roots on a tree are basically as they go out as far as the tree is tall. So kind of depends on that. I would say if she's, uh, if her pasture or field is across the road, that's more than likely birds just eating the fruits and then, you know, flying across and pooping. So is there a way to stay after? I mean, it sounds like it's going to be quite the process, manual removal anyways, because of the thorns. But Mm -hmm. what can someone like Betty do who just keeps having them pop up? And how do you even begin to control that? Yeah, Betty, let me ask you, how big are most of those uh, those plants? Are they are they still just a couple feet tall, or are they getting a lot bigger at this point? Well, it's according to how long in between bush hoggings it is. Yeah. If we bush hog every three to four months, some of them are four feet tall, three to four feet tall. Maybe others are just sprouting out of the ground, different different sizes. We bush hog about three times a summer. Oh, wow. Yeah, one thing you can do, you know, herbicides work great on these things. There's a lot, you know, calorie pear is tough to get rid of, but not tough to kill. Good. Glyphosate works, triclopyr works. Uh, you know, they, you just have to get out there and treat those things. And a really good time to do that would be, you know, a couple months after you've bush hogged and they've, they've sort of put up a big bushy bushy bunch of sprouts and it's all that green, nice green foliage. That is a great time to take, you know, glyphosate, which is, you know, Roundup or one of those things and just spray those things. And that should... The, air, the area is much too large to do that. Uh, oh, well then, yeah, you're kind of, I'm afraid you're kind of stuck. Yep. Well, yep. Uh, well, Betty, I'm really glad you weighed in on that. And so uh, Betty is going to be our biggest advocate in Georgia to maybe have <laughs> this campaign of, you know, and, and like Dr. Coyle said, it's not necessarily having the tree police come to your property. If you have Bradford pears, no one's going to tell you to take them down. But slowly but surely over the years and decades, eventually seeing less and less of those trees, because when, when all of them have a lifespan of 20 to 30 years, mm-hmm. eventually they will die out and there will be no new source for them right right we'd like to see you know native trees getting put in there instead and and give us just a list of a few native trees that we could plant instead that are going to be really beautiful maybe showy in the spring Mm -hmm. that are a better option yeah and i'll i'll give a little list but always remember it depends on where you are but especially for folks in you know upstate here their red buds are a great one right they can handle a little bit of you know they certainly thrive in some of that shade uh, there's several dogwood varieties that are good. Now, be careful because dogwood has some disease issues, but there's some really great cultivars out there now that are disease-resistant. So mm-hmm. I would highly encourage you to plant those disease-resistant. I think Kusa dogwood is probably, you know, one of those. As you get, you know, a little bit further south, there's a tree called the swamp tai-tai, which is a really cool little thing. Uh, it, you know, there's black gum, which is a good one. Oh, if you've got more space, that's going to give you great red foliage in the fall. I think that's a really underused tree in my in my opinion, just because it's so pretty in the fall, you mm-hmm. know. So there's lots of different stuff, but it kind of depends on where you're located. Thinking outside the box. Betty, thanks for the call. 404-872-0750. A quick check of traffic and weather. We'll be back with the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. It's Ashley Frasca on 95.5 WSB. growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. Keeping it simple, number one, you don't want to hear me say this, pull weeds. Wait for a dry morning or evening to get out there, manually rip the weeds out, maybe spot treat with a selective product for the ones that won't harm grass. 
And don't forget mulch. Lots and lots of mulch. Number two, divide perennials like hostas, daylily, ornamental grasses, and bearded iris. Now's the time to do that. And number three, it's the last chance to plant snap beans and Irish potatoes for a fall harvest before the first frost in late October, early November. So Bradford pears is what uh, we really started talking about when Dr. Coyle came on. And I had another thing for you. Jan sent me a message on Facebook, and she said she saw a news story about an invasive. uh, These are kind of news stories that are like the Asian murder hornet, you know, like they may get blown out of proportion, but you're getting ready to tell me if not. Asian jumping worm and how destructive it could be. The story was somewhere up north, but she says she has seen one in the Kennesaw Ackworth area right here in Georgia. And she took a picture. It kind of looks like an earthworm, but do we need to be alarmed? Have you heard of anything about this Asian jumping worm? Well, true story. We have those. I don't think we need to be alarmed, but they are certainly here. They're called Georgia jumpers or yeah. Alabama jumpers. There's a bunch of different names, but they're named because when you dig them out of the soil, they, they wiggle like crazy. Okay. They just completely, you know, go nuts. So they are non-native species from Asia, obviously. The difference with these is they can re- reproduce and multiply so quickly. Oh. And, you know, a worm's whole purpose is to, de- you know, get rid of leaf litter, right? Mm-hmm. So they can do this to a, an extent that actually harms forests and natural areas, wow. but takes all the leaf litter away and it can impact some of the regeneration. So they're in a lot of different eastern states. They're over most of the, you know, most of the eastern U.S. has them at this point. Um, most of the research has been done up in the Midwest, up in the lake states, and they have definitely seen some negative impacts of having these things. It just completely cleans off the floor of forest. So that's that alarming news story maybe yeah, that Jan probably, saw. Yeah, probably. And they've seen, you know, where it's it's impacted, you know, sugar maple is a big thing up there where we okay. get our syrup and everything. Yeah. And they've seen it times where it's impacted sugar maple regeneration. So you don't get as many new trees growing because they've just cleaned off all the, you know, the seeds and the, everything there. So Well, again, props to Jan for paying attention. We talked mm-hmm. about that, David. Yep. Thanks to Dr. David Coyle from Clemson <laughs> University, assistant professor. We've talked about tree health, forest health, invasive species, always something timely to talk about with you. I love it. I know we got worms today too. So that was kind of neat. (laughs) We threw that in on top of beetles and Bradford pears. Um, How can folks find out, you know, I talked about your videos. Some of the videos you do are fun about privet and just clever ways of really educating the public. How can folks track you? They can track me on the socials at Dr. Dave Coyle, D-R-D-A-V-E-C-O-Y-L-E. And being a Clemson fellow, we put our stuff on the Clemson HGIC, our Clemson extension page. That you do. So Google HGIC, Home Garden Information Center, and the University of Georgia Extension Service, always at extension.uga.edu. All right, got to run. Dr. David Coyle, thank you so much. We always have such a great time. I'll have you back. Time to take a break. And from one extension agency to the next, Clint Waltz, my turf grass expert. I went and visited him recently in Griffin at the University of Georgia campus. You don't want to miss what I learned. Coming up at 8 o'clock, it's 95.5 WSB. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.